Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. And uh, tonight we're talking about how uh, love impacts our fruitfulness for Christ and uh, being on the threshold of uh, a day that our culture has set aside to um, remember romantic love. I think we need to remember what Christ has called us to, uh, to live with Christ-like love. Praise the Lord. So uh, we're going to be talking about that tonight. And uh, let's look at what the Apostle Peter has to say from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Praise the Lord. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently or passionately being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Everybody say amen. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word speaking into our hearts. Thank you for the love of Christ that, Lord, we're going to be speaking about this evening. Thank you that it has been shed abroad in our hearts And because of the work of the love of Christ in us, we become become conduits of that love to our communities, to our families, to our church family. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, as we look at what that means tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Hey, I want you to help me out, a little class participation here. I want us to do something together just for a few seconds here as we get started. I want you to look around. Just look around. Don't look at the ceiling. Don't look at the windows and the walls. I want you to look at everybody else. All right, so turn around. Give them a thumbs up or wave if you want to, if that makes you feel more comfortable. All right, yeah, just just look around everybody. All right. Not being rude, just being real. I want us to see one another because I want to make three observations about the people in this room, and not just the people in this room, but first of all, we're all real people in here tonight, okay? Um, There are no 3D holograms in here tonight. Uh, You're looking at real... um, breathing, living people. And secondly, to my knowledge, none of the people that you just looked at are totally perfect. Some may be close, but to my knowledge, 
none of them have informed me that they have obtained 100% perfection. Truth is, every single one of us in this room here tonight brings with us a distinctive, unique type of need. A distinct, unique type of, shall I even say, brokenness. Amen. Amen. That's because we were all born sinners. And we all have different backgrounds, different backstories. So, I want you to remember that. Thirdly, we are called by God to love each other. And I'm not just talking about, like I said, just, just not talking about the people in this room. I'm talking about people outside of this room. Right? Because the big idea, notice on your study, uh, or uh, yeah, Bible study sheet here, the big idea is anywhere real people can be found, we are called by God to love them. And you know that calling is independent from our will. We don't get to choose whether or not to love somebody. Hello. We don't get to choose whether or not to love people. God commands his children to love. That's not optional territory. And yes, even people in the church can be difficult to love. Right? Right? You better all say amen or somebody's going to be looking at you. You know, sometimes we sing, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. And then we look at the person across the aisle and think, I'm really surprised they're in the family. <laughs> surprised they made it. And sadly, the church is often known more for its fighting and divisions over petty issues than it is known for its love. How many know that's a fact? I'm not saying all churches. I'm saying for a large percentage. Uh, church consultant Tom Rayner uh, wrote some issues that churches have fought about. He, he's wrote extensively. He has studied uh, churches. He has has uh, taken uh, church gallop. I mean, he is a, a masterful writer, author, many books. But he wrote about some issues that he knew uh, about, like the argument that broke out in one church over the discovery that the church budget was off by ten cents. Now, I, I believe in good bookkeeping but we're not going to have a church argument over a dime. Right? Two different churches that he uh, reported were fighting over which type of coffee to serve in the fellowship hall. Another church had a disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. Another church had an argument over whether to sing the happy birthday song to members that had a birthday each week. Some churches still do that. So, 
Back in the 70s, some of the church growth gurus observed that Christians like to go to church with others who, they, uh, who are just like they are. Whites like to be with whites. Blacks like to be with blacks. Other ethnic groups, rich college graduates like to go with other rich college Rednecks don't like to go with church lib with, with go to church with liberals who who favor things like gun control. Hello. So these church growth gurus gave us a standardized unit principle. This is what they said. I quote: If you want your church to grow. You've got to target the niche that you're trying to reach and market your church to those folks. Now, the problem is that principle is completely contrary to the New Testament. We're not called to handpick the harvest. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond or free. There's neither male or female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So the family, the church is a family of God. God has designed families so that there's all kinds. And what are they doing? Growing together, hopefully. Apostle John, 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Both the Apostle John and then Peter from our text says that we love others because God loves, uh, or God's love has made us his children. And the more we are assured of God's love and of how much we don't deserve it, then the more we pour out our love for others. Which in turn, you know what that does? It magnifies the glory of God. How many want God's glory to be magnified? Huh? So our love for others is really derived from God's love for us. So I want to make four observations. Number one, notice with me on your Bible study sheet, the command for us to love others is one of the most basic, straightforward commands in the entire Bible. You know, part of the great commandment that Christ gives us back in Matthew 22, 37, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Remember that? And with all thy soul and with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. And then he goes in verse 39, second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On, in verse 40 says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And when Christ mentions all the law and the prophets here, he's referring really to all of the Old Testament. And so he's saying that the entire Old Testament depends on the commands to love God and then what? Love others. 
Or in other words, when it comes to God's will that he shows in the Old Testament, if we had to describe his will in just one command, it would be love God and love people too. Christ taught us that in the Gospels. Uh, Paul taught us that in Romans 13.8. He said, uh, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. That's what Paul said in Romans 13.8. So when, he, when, it, when it comes to all the horizontal relational commands in the Old Testament, if, if we want a summary statement for all those commands, Paul's provided that for us. And, and it's simply three words, love one another. I'm reminded of Christ's words in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have what? Love one for another. And I suppose there, I got one two weeks ago. So I suppose that if you have email, there's not a single person here who's not received one of those emails from someone in Africa claiming to be the wife of a recently assassinated national figure. And she has access to millions. And out of almost, what is it? We're almost up to 8 billion people on the face of the earth. Somehow she thinks the best person to trust with all her millions is actually you, who she's never met. Come on. So what we do when we get an email like that is we was like, maybe some of you are like, is this for real? I'll answer that for you. No. Okay. But the question, is this for real? Somebody asked, is this for real? Now people look at the church and they hear words like, new life in Christ. They hear us talk about a fresh start. They hear us say things like, transformed. Hmm? And you know what they're asking? Is this for real? If you're wondering how to spot authentic Christianity, Christ's words are just what you need to hear. They open our eyes to the very thing that shows whether Christians are genuine or not. It's love. Amen. Love is the trademark of a true Christian. Love identifies true community from false community, right? Does this make sense? Love strengthens relationship and authenticates our witness. Notice, Christ did not say that people will know that you're my disciples if you promote my agenda. Or if you wear the latest uh, Christian t-shirt. Or display the latest Christian trend, whatever it may be. Years ago, it was the WWJD bracelets. Or if you have the fish decal on your car, no. A watching world, notice on your handout, will be persuaded not when our values are promoted, but when they are incarnated. Amen. 
In other words, when we become transmitters of love, it is though Christ has given the entire world the right to judge whether or not one is his follower or not simply based on their love for fellow human beings. Believers are called God's advertisement to the watching society as how individuals can best live in this society. In fact, Christian love will always be the best, I think this is on your study guide, the best apologetic or the best evidence that the church has, right? Oh, I was reading uh, this week when uh, missionary Ira Gillette, he was a missionary to East Africa. He returned home on furlough, and he reported an interesting phenomenon that he had noticed while in East Africa. He he saw this repeated trend how groups of Africans would walk past government hospitals and travel extra miles to receive medical treatment at the missionary compound. And he finally asked a particular group why they walked the extra distance when the same treatments were available at the closer government medical clinics. And their reply was this, and I quote, they said, the medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. That's the virtue of love incarnated. That kind of love is what makes a difference. Christ has no hands but our hands in this culture. No feet but our feet, right? We are his ambassadors representing him to our world, and when we love as he's loved us, it makes a difference, right? People's going to notice. And, of course, love can be a variety of things. You've got, you know, brotherly love. You've got romantic love. But the love that's commanded here is a selfless, it's a sacrificial love. And this is really the kind of love that, that flows from a decided commitment. Okay? It's a covenant to love in spite of a cost, despite of rebuke, in spite of rejection, it is unconditional and in many ways unconventional. It's a love that's demonstrated in God's saving acts in Christ, a love that extends not to just friends and family. It extends to rebels and enemies, right? It restores relationships. It, it builds togetherness, and, and it develops unity where there's division. See, it makes friends out of sinners as far as God is concerned. I'm glad for the love of God. Because in our text, Peter's saying to his readers, now that you're purified, you're made holy through Christ. There's one core reality that you need to operate in. One central 
behavior to show Christ is really living in you. And, and one thing that matters above all, Peter is saying, is that we love one another. And Peter's realized that in Christianity, there's this vertical dimension where we love God with all of our heart. He said it's soul, mind, strength. Okay, we believe him, we honor him, we trust him, we love him. But there's also this horizontal dimension, love your neighbor as yourself. Be compassionate, friendly, considerate, gracious. And here's the deal. Love for God demands love for others. Being joined to God in faith means being joined to others in love. And when God's people love one another deeply, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen? Amen? And we know the effects uh, of the fall. We all feel the effects of the fall. They're all around us. And, and even... Some of the greatest Christ-like loving people can fail us from time to time, right? Sometimes communities of love can become contexts of pain. Communities of love can come, become contexts of, of hurt, and then it's easy to pull away and just seek to do faith all by ourselves. And how many know that's become even more, more of an easy option these days? And I thank God that we can offer online options, but with online church options and, and so much Christian media out there at our fingertips, it can be tempting for believers to bail out of church, bail out of gathering together in person and just resort to staying home and just... But here's the problem. Loving God is never merely an individual thing. How many know there's no Lone Rangers in the kingdom of God. Life with Christ cannot be fruitfully fleshed out apart from the faith community called the church. And additionally, if we withdraw when we're hurt, or then that hurt's never healed and it's actually multiplied. It's dragged deeper within and it becomes bitter and I've seen it become ugly. And yet, when Christ's people love each other deeply, community becomes the context of growth. It actually can become the context of healing, where hurt and resentment can become a catalyst for growth and restoration. Does that make sense? Okay, then, if it makes sense, let's go on to observation number two. That means I've spent enough time with number one. Observation number two, to love deeply is a core purpose of God saving us. See, loving others deeply is not something that some people are good at and gifted in, while others just aren't. Hmm? It is a core behavior for all the followers of Christ. 
Check out the first section of, of verse 22 of our text. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So Christ has purified us so that we can love sincerely. Paul says that Christ is making his love overflow from a purified heart. And a love that's active and persistent and practical is, is going to naturally flow from a heart that is pure. It's ex expressed in relationships and what we think about one another and how we help one another and how we bless one another and how we serve one another. Earlier, I illustrated the question of, of, of is it real? That's the question of authenticity. How do we know if something is for real? How do you spot a true church? Surprisingly, notice on your study guide, sincere love for each other is the sole distinguishing characteristic of a gospel community. Not a denominational thing, not a doctrine, not a system of church government, not our affiliation or association, not the level of our commitment or even the amount of our tithe. Those are important, but if we do not have sincere love, it's useless and ultimately becomes destructive. Paul wrote in the great uh, love chapter, in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I do all these things, but yet I do not have what? Love. Whew. See, God has chosen us to show the world what sincere love really is. Now, Christ envisions us to be a church where sincere love is displayed, a place where we both live and proclaim Christ's love for saints and sinners. See, where that love is expressed as his people love each other, where it's reflected in their love for their community, where the gospel is more easily heard and believed and accepted, and where sincere love exists, every anti-Christian argument, every attack against the church is then blunted and neutralized. Because when sincere love thrives, the Antichrist spirit that uh, Paul said is already at work in the churches today, it's overcome and the flaming arrows of the evil one are extinguished. And, and, and if you look through history, I love church history, history shows that sincere love drove the church throughout history to act with compassion and be on mission. And actually, it drove cultural advancement. See, churches started hospitals. Churches developed public education. Christians like William Wilberforce worked to abolish the transatlantic slave uh, trade. See, Christians continue today through the ministry and uh, work of great organizations and, and um, missions groups. Compassion International is one large one, and, and ministries that we support as a church on a monthly basis. They are repairing broken homes. They are providing the resources to those that are stuck in poverty, whether it be physical food or spiritual food. See, why do they do that? Somebody say, love. Right? 
Because when we're purified through Christ's blood, all we can do is love sincerely. Observation number three. This love is commanded by God to people he lives in by his spirit. Now, how many know God never commands his people to do an impossible task? When he commands us to love one another deeply from the heart, he's only asking us what he's already empowered us to do. Isn't that a great thing? Notice what our text says, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And this is interesting. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Notice what he says about the grass. What happens to it? It withereth. The flower thereof falleth away. He says we are to love one another deeply from the heart. Why? Because we've been born again of imperishable seed. And Peter wants us to know that people are like grass. They can be soft and green one day, brown and crunchy the next. Their efforts often come to nothing. But when God's grace is activated in people's lives, he begins to transform human weakness by the power of a resurrected son. Christians don't just bear fruit. With Christ living in them, they bear fruit that lasts. Right? And when God saves people, they, they move from the realm of the mortal to the realm of immortal. John 5.24 says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There's no denying, sure, we're not in heaven yet, okay? We still fail, we still fall, our love still imperfect. That's obvious, otherwise it wouldn't have to be commanded to love. We just do it automatically. But by the same token, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of God in us. It's why we spend little time praying and a lot of time worrying. Right? We react as if God is not in the, even in the picture. But God is saying loving this way is not about your limitations. It, it, it's not about you, you know, being imperfect. It's about my living word enduring word, doing the very thing that it is supposed to do. It's about the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ doing the very thing that he intended it to do in us. And it's about the word that has not only been proclaimed to you and I, but we've received it, believed it, it's taken root, and it's going to bear fruit. That's the way it happens. And God says, here's my prescription. I have saved you for this very purpose, and you can do this. I will do this through you. You can obey my call by my power. Love one another. And Christ frees us to be uh, a community, really, of sincere Deep love because the God of love has redeemed us through the precious blood of his son. And Peter says, therefore, love one another deeply from a pure heart. Now, how many has ever seen somebody communicate simply with body language? 
Huh? Body language. You look at how a person is, is uh, setting. You can gauge their level of interest. Uh, you can look at uh, body language and get uh, a reasonable, accurate idea of what's really going on on the inside. But guess what? Sincere love is the body language of the church. Those who have been born with the imperishable word of God, they're speaking a language that sometimes they don't even have to open their mouth. Right? You observe the sincere love of the people of God and, and know what's happening on the inside. You know this. God is at work. And they've been born again of imperishable seed, Peter said. They are loving each other because they both love God and they uh, have been loved by him in Christ. Observation number four. Peter calls us to sincerity in our love for others. And I know I've, I've hit that, but we're going to really uh, drill down right here because I think this is a little uh, yeah, newsflash on your study guide. Doing something right doesn't mean you're doing it right. Did you get that? Doing something right doesn't mean you're doing it right. How many know there's a wrong way to do a right thing? For example, I heard about a husband who wanted to speak more words of affirmation to, uh, <clears throat> to his wife. And uh, every day he wanted to say something encouraging and affirming to her, which is a good thing. But <clears throat> then he found... Uh, this new uh, productivity app that allows you to set daily reminders for tasks that you want to do every day, and every day when you complete the task, you, you simply you know, swipe the task uh, to check it off. And so it, it made sense to him to make one of those tasks speaking affirming words to his wife. And so it went well for the first week, but then uh, after a while, every night before falling asleep, he would get those notifications on his iPhone uh, about the tasks that he had not completed that day. And that included the task of affirming his wife. And so in the moment right before going to sleep, he would say something nice to his wife. And again, that was good, right? It's all good. Because he meant every nice thing he said. But then after a while, somebody say, after a while... He stopped coming up with nice, with, I should say, new nice things to say. And he just kept repeating the same line every single night. Until one night, his wife finally asked him, said, why do you tell me I'm your best friend every night before we go to bed? He said, because you are. And this is why he said, and I'm trying to swipe these tasks See, here's the thing. God's calling on us to love others. How many know it means more than just checking a box? Hello. Somebody say there's no shortcuts. Our love has a context. See, and before our love can truly extend to someone else, it must flow from the personal heart response to the love of God that he has for us. Praise God. We, we cannot love others apart from God's love for us. Therefore, we never get beyond. How many know? 
we never get beyond the love of God. No, we never graduate from the subject of God's love into some other deeper subject. Uh-uh. There is nothing deeper. There is no deeper subject than the love of God. Praise God. Remember what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 3. There's, he, he talks about the dimensions, the vast dimensions of God's love. The height, the breadth, the depth. And how many know there's dimensions we don't even comprehend? Hello. Our comprehension right now is just scratching the surface to the love of God. God's love is an endless ocean, and we're just on the shoreline. So that's why we can enter in, or if you change the metaphor, we need to drink from the fountain of God's love ourselves. And the more we drink of God's love, is this okay? the more we're going to be assured of his love and the more we will know his love and the more we will become overwhelmed by his love, then the more we're humbled by his love. And then we become rivers of his love flowing out to others. So, what do you think, folks? Is there enough sincere love here at Broadway? Have we maxed out the love of God? Somebody say, I don't think so. Right? So the question is, what specific action do each of us need to take to start loving others more? Right now, church, this is about you and God. He has purposed his love to overflow from our life. So what steps will we take to make this happen? I want you to wrestle with that question. Ask yourself, who in our church is on the sideline? Who is spiritually fragile that I know? Who is in need? And then you speak into that. You love into that. Do something in love for that. Some believers are in hiding. And if so, how can you love your brothers and sisters if you're limiting the context where that love can be seen, felt, demonstrated? You say, ah, but pastor, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. Ah, we all got the same number of hours in a day, right? And instead of adjusting contexts of sincere love out of our schedule, let's adjust other components of our schedule to develop contexts of sincere love. Others will be better for it, and how many know so will we? Amen. That's a, that's a command. I want us to just turn up the love of Jesus. Turn up the temperature of our love for Christ and others this year. Uh, I thought it interesting. Since Jones, you can you can probably uh, get ready to come. Uh, a preacher once asked a class, "What do you do?" He said, "What do you do with the commands uh, in Scripture?" And one little lady raised her hand. She said, "I underline them in blue." <laughs> he said, "Okay, that's good, but then what do you do with them?" Because how many know underlining all the commandments in blue? may help us spot them when we read our Bible, but the point of the command is that we obey. 
not just underline it. Right? Praise God. I don't know if you've uh, heard the name W.A. Criswell, former pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, a very large church. Uh, being a very large church, he officiated a lot of weddings in his tenure. And he said the nervous groom would always ask him, Dr. Criswell, how much do I owe you for this? And he said, I'd always smile and look at the groom and say, ah, just pay me what she's worth. <laughs> Dr. Criswell made a lot of money from weddings because each man, he said, wanted to look at his bride as extravagant value. In like manner, everyone around us is of incredible value to God. Every single one of us. How do I know that? Because he gave his only son for everybody. Because people matter so much to him, they ought to matter to us, and we therefore need to love them as he loves them. And in the end, the goal of the Christian life is what? Somebody shout it out. Love. Yeah. I think it's back in uh, 1917, Frederick Lehman was a California businessman, recently lost everything in, in a business deal gone wrong. He said he found himself being employed, working some very long hours, very manual labor at the Pasadena, California packing house packing oranges and lemons into wooden crates, trying to get back on his feet. And one Sunday, he said he was moved by a sermon on the love of God, and so the next morning as he went to work, he began jotting down lyrics on scrap pieces of paper that he could find around the packing house and uh, even scribbled them on broken crates while he was working. And when he got home that evening, he began putting together the lines and then the melody and you can read it. You can sing it. The love of God, he said, is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Let's stand together. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forever more endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean feel and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how many. 
measureless and strong it shall forever more endure the saints and angels song sing it now of God. Sing it, church. Thank you, Lord. How measureless and strong oh, it shall Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Pray with me. Father, tonight as a church, we want to know your heart. What you think and what you say, you shared with us in your word, and it matters more to us than anything else. And Lord, you've made it clear in your word your desire, your call upon each of our lives is to love one another. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. You've already shared from your word. Now, God, may we receive it in our hearts. Let it fall upon soil that's receptive. Deepen our understanding and enable us to love like you love. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody pray that prayer. Enable me, Lord, to love like you love. I believe he can do that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ask yourself, how can I share and show the love of God this week? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, love of God, how rich. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you for being here. Ladies, you uh, gather for prayer tomorrow evening, 6.30. Brothers, we meet Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Then back here in the house of God on Sunday. Bring somebody, invite somebody. These altars are always open. If you'd like to apply what you've heard tonight in any way, make it your prayer. Love of Christ be displayed in my life 
That's a prayer he'll always answer. God bless you. Let's sing it one more time. Oh, love of God.